money is not about how smart you are or getting the super best idea and someone's told me, oh, you have to do this thing. It's super clever. And, but it's not, it's about doing the simple things consistently over a period of time. And that's where people fail because people don't want to, to wait a period of time. They want the really exciting thing and they want to do it here and now rather than doing the simple thing over and over and over again. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F word. Welcome back to the most hated F word podcast. I am delighted. I am pleased that you're here for another week with another guest. This week, I have Will Rainey. Before we get into the episode, I have a favor. If you could please head over to Apple Podcast and leave a review, that would really help. It helps support the show, helps bring new guests on the show so that we can have delightful conversations about money and our relationship with it. Also, if you want to come to a boutique conference, an intimate conference, I highly suggest coming to the Financial Therapy Association's 2022 conference in Denver, Colorado from October 5th to 8th. You can go to the financialtherapyassociation.org to find out the speakers and other details about the conference. But I highly suggest this one as there will be people talking about our relationships with money, looking at the emotions behind those relationships and so many other fascinating and insightful conversations. So Will, who is Will? Will is a writer and speaker who focuses on helping teach their kids about money. He is in fact the author of the book, Grandpa's Fortune Fables. I have been reading this book with my six-year-old in the evenings and we are finding it very enjoyable. His work has appeared in the Financial Times, iNews, and the National News. His website, Blue Tree Savings, has helped thousands of parents to start having conversations about money. And you'll see in the conversation today, not only are parents having these conversations with their children, but the parents are starting to learn more about money through his book. His book is geared towards the children, but parents can certainly pull and learn valuable lessons from this book. It's interesting how Will started out his career as an award-winning investment consultant. He was providing investment advice to governments, insurance companies, and some of the world's largest pension schemes. But Will was curious about life outside he decided to step out of line and dramatically change his lifestyle. His family and him packed up, stopped working, and moved to Vietnam. In the episode, we really talk about how he came to this decision and what impacts this has had on his family. And you'll hear Will talk about the impact that this has had on his family, to spend more time together, to have more family adventures, and... It allowed him to start a new business, something that he never thought he would ever do, be an author and teach kids about money. This was a fun conversation. 
I think Will and his family are doing some amazing things, having some wonderful adventures together as a wonderful family. And you'll hear in the episode, they recently moved to Thailand. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with Will Rainey. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited as well because as of recently, me and my son are halfway done this book and he's been enjoying it. He's sick, so maybe a year under the age range, but he is quite enjoying it. So I'm looking forward to diving into the story behind the stories. Fantastic. No, I'm glad that he's enjoying it and uh, learning. I know it's yeah. age range is 7 to 13, but I love it when parents are reading the stories with with their kids and it's yeah i love that parent child reading together on a topic like money it's great it is quite enjoyable i told him i was going to be talking to you and he's like boris i'm like no 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 the author <laughs> and for those of you who don't know boris you got to read who boris is there's many areas we could start and i could ask you why you wrote the book but i want to first ask you a question more about will the author instead of the book as I was reading your bio, as I was getting to know you online, I couldn't help but notice from an outsider's perspective that it seems like you potentially took a courageous step to get out of line, so to speak. And what I mean by that, from an outside perspective, it seemed like you had all the exterior exterior successful things that are, I guess, narrative or social narrative would call successful. You had a cool title job, working in Hong Kong, working with these large companies, providing advice on, uh, I believe, millions of dollars. But yet you decided to change what some people would think is the dream job. And now your clients are no longer wealthy corporations or governments. Instead, they're seven to 13 year olds. So my question is, what, if anything at all, changed in yourself and your story that caused or influenced this lifestyle change? Yeah, so it actually happened by chance. I think it's around 2017. And so I was, I was working in Hong Kong doing the job that you just mentioned. And I was just having a conversation with someone about my two young daughters. And I can't remember the conversation, but at the end they said, enjoy this time with them. They only grow up once. And it's a really obvious statement. It's quite short, and kind of, but it had a really big, profound impact on me. And I was like, yeah, you're right. They are growing up really quickly and and I want to kind of make more time for them and sort of experience them kind of growing up. And there's another statistic, I can't remember exactly, but it's like 90% of the time you spend with your children is before the age of 12, before they're... So I was like, oh, right. <laughs> I want to make sure I get as much out of that. And so we thought, right, well, what do we really enjoy? And that's, we felt we'd really enjoy having that time. So in 2019, yeah, we kind of left that corporate world and said, well, we're going to take some time off of the corporate world and spend more time. So we moved from Hong Kong to a little town called Hoi An in Vietnam, which is by far one of the best places in the world to, to live. Rice paddy fields, uh, beaches, beautiful food and weather. And so we did that. And it was kind of when we were there, I kind of wanted to be right, what's the project? What do I want to do when the kids are at school? Because we put them in the international school. And so I thought, well, I felt really kind of fortunate to be able to have this opportunity to take time off corporate work, to spend time with my daughters. And I realized that even people who I was working with before, or my clients or peers, 
didn't seem to be able to grasp that I had this, how, how could I afford to take this time off work? And so, yeah, it hit me that my wife and I have kind of grown up as savers and investors and had this sort of nest egg that allowed us to, to take this time off. And that's because we kind of learned about it from a youngest age. And so I wanted to do the same thing for my daughters. And I thought, right, this is going to be my little mission for, well, it's going to see how it goes. And so I thought, right, I'm going to teach my daughters, but then kind of share that with other parents to help them. Because it's not that many resources out there that help parents teach their kids about money. So that's kind of how I went from that. And it's all driven by the desire to spend more time with my kids and, and now wanting them to have that same opportunity when they grow up. I appreciate that. I heard you say it twice, maybe three times, more time with my kids. I would imagine that that desire was, there was a lot of that desire burning inside because I want to, I want to stick on this because I, I, I mean, I, I applaud you for taking that risk because I, I can't imagine doing it was easy. Maybe talk about that. And I guess why I want to stick on this is I've heard people wanting to do this. They'll say like, oh, I want to do this, but I can't. And I want to do this. It sounds to me that you fortunately had some saving habits, which we'll get into that led to probably some of the book, but there's no big, grandiose, sexy lottery win, windfall of money that came here, was there? And I assume there still was fear. So maybe talk about that fear and how you actually did it, because that's the hardest part. I think at about the time, as I mentioned, about 2017, when I had that conversation, it kind of sparked. I was also reading the book, The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. Then I started to just go, is this actually possible? So it took two years before the kind of spark of this could be something to, to actually doing it. And I don't know, I just felt very excited about it. So I didn't see much. And I knew because I'm a, <laughs> with my money every month, I've got a spreadsheet which says, where's all our money in different bank accounts, how much we're spending, not itemized by individual bits, but just kind of broadly how much we got, how much we save, how much we, we spend each month. So I kind of seen where this was going, how much of our expenses covered by kind of the rent from our, our real estate in the UK. We've got some investments sort of providing a sort of dividend. So I was kind of getting comfortable. The big bit to your question, though, is probably about my convincing my wife. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. that was where she was like, what? No, we don't. No one does that. <laughs> That's just not what people do. Why would we do it? And then, then I kind of rationalized it with her going through, well, look, this is the numbers and Look, we only we live once. <laughs> Why do we have to wait until we're we're sixty five before we can kind of enjoy this savings that we're being up? Let's take. I'd rather work till I was sixty seven, sixty eight, but then have those three years now rather than when I'm older because my kids would have been grown up by then. And what's the difference between sixty five and sixty eight in, in that kind of mindset? So I wanted to take that and sort of put that a bit forward. So yeah, my wife was a lot more apprehensive, but by the time we sort of looked at all the benefits of doing it, and we always had a get up, we were both kind of had good reputations within our, our jobs. So we felt, well, if we did it, it'll be disruptive, but we could ultimately go back and find work. So we're, we're fortunate in that space that we're, we're confident that it's a risk, but it's not as if we're, we're selling down our, our house that we live in and we're going to spend all the money. It was more about living off the income that we get from our investments. So we still had not depleting it we might not be growing it because clearly we don't have as much income as we did before so i think once we had security around the numbers security around that we're going somewhere it's a bit lower cost but still has a great education system for the kids and then all the benefits of different lifestyle and adventure time with the kids uh, is yeah just yeah it took a little while but it got there and we haven't regretted it at all it's been the three years that we had in Vietnam, just we're in Thailand now, but 
those three years was phenomenal, and we're, we're excited about the new adventure in, in Thailand. I feel like your 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 previous work was very analytical, was it? So, as a guy who has a very analytical job, you live in spreadsheets. Well, you said you focus, you, you looked at the spreadsheets. I think it's wonderful that you could almost let those go and live off that interest instead of building it. When you said we only live once. Again, it's something that we all say, but I just appreciate how you acted on that. And this idea I love is like, yeah, maybe we'll take a little time off now while the kids are young. And if I've got to work later in life, okay. So 2019, you make this leap. It's been three years to your point. What unexpected lessons or things have you learned about time with your family, time with yourself, not working very much, or any other unexpected lessons that you've learned? Yeah, so I think there's a few actually. Once more broadly about going from, because we lived in London and then we moved to Hong Kong, and then so it's a little place in Vietnam. And so we kind of got moved from like places which are just full of abundance. Like everyone's got everything, everyone's spending money all the time, people have nice clothes, and you can tell that people cared a lot about what other people thought. <laughs> and that kind of keeping up with the Joneses, where you come to, to Vietnam. And there was none of that. Everyone just wore T-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops. <laughs> so there's no pretentiousness. And also, we lived right amongst all the Vietnamese families. So our neighbors were all Vietnamese families. And so my kids got to see a different way of living, different culture. But also, these families didn't have as much as what they saw as families having in, in Hong Kong and London. But yet, these people were the kindest people you've ever met. They're the friendliest people you've ever met. They're not sitting there on their phones because most of them don't have phones or they have the, the very old <laughs> dial pad telephones. And so it was really good for them to kind of observe this different culture and that you don't have to have loads of money to be happy. And I love that. So the kids, there's a little bit like, because it was near rice paddy fields and next to the rice fields, they have a sort of a watering system. So it's like a little stream. And so all the kids were like making paper boats and like racing them down this like water stream it's like fantastic <laughs> it's just like just they were just using creativity to, to come up with games and stuff like that so that was really one great thing that came out of it which was kind of unexpected but i love that for my kids to see that different way of living and to say like it's money doesn't have to be the source of, of that happiness about what you do with your life and etc then the other thing is for me i didn't go to to Vietnam with this plan of I'm going to teach kids about money. It was more I wanted to do something about whilst the kids are at school, as I mentioned, and then got into doing this to helping parents. But now it's like I'm like super passionate about this. <laughs> it's going to be the thing that I do now forever just because I think there's just so much to do and it can have such a big impact on children, the next generation's future and how it impacts not just their money but how their happiness and how they treat people as well. And so that's just something that's kind of consumed me. And yeah, just I really enjoy it. I love learning and seeing different ways in which you can sort of take these kind of lessons and, and kind of spread them. So yeah, they're the two big ones. It's been yeah, the change in lifestyle, exposure, and this kind of topic, how it's kind of consumed me. Oh, yeah, that, that's wonderful. And I think it's just such a great lesson for the kids. How old are your kids? 10 and 7, nearly 8. Oh, okay, wow. So three years ago... Nearly like four or five when it yep. first went out. Yeah. I think that's such a good lesson at such a young age is that like this fulfillment or this happiness lies within as opposed to these external things that we are prescribed, certainly in North America. And I believe UK is similar. 
when you started talking about these new passions, you're like face lit up and the tone that you're holding changed. And it makes me think about earlier when I said that in a way we, we all go in line, we go to work, we come home, we try to retire at a certain age, but you stepped out of line and, and it, it almost seems like it then gave you some space to tap into the creative side of Will and, and to find this new passion. I have a specific question around that. So have you heard of the book, The War of Art by Stephen Pressville? I've heard of it. I've read it. Great <laughs> book. The subtext is winning the inner creative battle. So it, it's about artists like being able to embrace that artistic side to them. So as, as I hear this story of you, I, again, I go back to this more actuary, like data-driven mind, following in line, like many of us, myself included in this, I don't want to say scripted life, but to agree it could be scripted. But then you decide to make this huge change to get more time with your kids. But all of a sudden you get some time and you now are channeling your inner creative side. He's got this quote that I, I want to get your, your thoughts on how you experienced it. And this is around any creative endeavor. Specifically in this term, he's talking about writing, but it says, it's not the writing part that's hard. What's hard is sitting down to write. What keeps us from sitting down is the resistance. And so in his book, the resistance is the things that stop us from doing our creative endeavors. So were you an author? How did this writing come up? Or where did this come from? And how did you start to sit down to start writing? I air quoted that sit just for the listeners. <laughs> that, that's a really interesting question and, and all experiment because never in a million years did I think I would have a book. When I was younger, I never liked reading. I never was very good at reading or spelling or still not very good at spelling, but... Uh, <laughs> There's um, computer softwares for that. <laughs> it's amazing. And editors are good. Uh, so I, I love the fact that I now have a book and, and stuff, but it's more of the fact that when I was working in the previous job, I was busy. And what you don't get is any time to think. <laughs> I found that thinking is a luxury and that's what's been a really good bit in the sort of three years what I had because... When I was working, you've got calls, you've got to-do lists, you've got meetings, you've got pressure to, to sort of meet targets, etc. You're just so busy. And then I go home and I've got my family and I want to make as much time with them, so you're kind of busy, busy, busy. So you don't get that much time just to sort of sit. So the great thing about having that time off and doing that sort of writing was meant that I could have a little think about something, read something, go, oh, I'm going to, how do I think? So I might have read a book. So I've read lots of different books and go, right, how can I make that into a money lesson? Or if I've read a, an adult personal finance book, how can I make that into a kid-friendly version of a story for a blog or something like that? And so I love the fact that I could sort of take a little walk, go around, think about it, write something, and then come back to it. It wasn't a rush. I didn't have any deadlines. And it was the more that I did that, the more I enjoyed it, the more I felt I got better at it. Okay, it was beyond to leverage off previous ideas or got the sense of oh that worked quite well I quite like that how do I do that again and so I really time it's more like time gave me that opportunity to be creative to think develop learn and do that and I think that's again took me a little bit by surprise but I've always been one of those people wanted to learn different things I just never thought I'd end up being sort of like a, a writer but that's fantastic and I love it just on a side note to that it's really interesting when you talk to some people and you say, well, even when I was moving from Hong Kong to Vietnam, they were like, aren't you going to be bored like, if you're not working? And I thought that was 
relatively sad statement because it kind of means people are working in their jobs to fend off boredom. And I was like, no, there's, there's just so much you can do. You can learn so much. You can create something different, even if it's a language or whether it's a skill. It doesn't matter what it is. I just chose this kind of writing piece. And I, yeah, I really want my kids to also be more creative than I was when I was growing up. Because again, it just, I think it just helps in so many different aspects of life. Well, I mean, the last statement, you want your kids to be, I think you said crazier. There's so much research around how kids learn so much by just watching, observing the social learning from their parents. So I think you're teaching them the valuable lessons by stepping out of line, like we talked about and moving to Vietnam, moving to Thailand, writing a book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I hope that's all positive for them. Um, we'll see when they're older. <laughs> and I'm a father of two. And how how have they taken to this adventure of moving to Vietnam now, uh, Thailand? Yeah, no, they've they've really enjoyed it. My oldest one clearly missing her friends from Vietnam, we? and that's why we're going to try and stay in Thailand for a much longer time, such that as she goes through adolescence, has those sort of solid uh, career friendship groups. But no, they're, they're really enjoying it. They're seeing the new school that they're going to go to and they're really excited about that. But yeah, no, I think they appreciate that they are on this kind of different life journey and, and experiencing these different cultures and hoping it's going to make them a lot more rounded. And especially at the moment, they're, they're in the UK on a holiday at the moment. And so they're kind of seeing their life that might have been if we had stayed in the UK. And so I think they're really appreciating that they've got different opportunities and experiences versus many other people. Yeah, it makes me think maybe they, they're, they're seeing the, I guess, the stories that are repeating the same lines over and over, where, where you're kind of cultivating this idea that life's a story and maybe you're, you're giving them their own pen to write a story that they see. Oh, well, I hope so. You mentioned about this uh, learning a sense of abundance from moving to Vietnam where people aren't necessarily keeping up with the Jones, to use your word. Thinking back to when you grew up in the UK... I believe the UK is similar to Canada, where I'm from, in the sense that we have a very, we call it individual society, where we kind of think more as an individual versus a collective group. Whereas in Hong Kong, I'm sure there's pockets of both, <laughs> such a diverse place. But in Vietnam and now Thailand, based on my experience there, is that it's more of a collective society. So what have you noticed and what have you learned from a culture? And maybe it's what you already talked about, the abundance, but how people's culture in Asia have are influencing their levels of happiness and how have that rubbed off in you on any other way than you've already talked about? Yeah, so where we were in, in Vietnam, so we, it might be different in the big cities, so Saigon and, and Hanoi, but where we were, there's a real strong sense of community. And an example that I felt was really strong was during COVID. So where we were, it's relatively a tourist area. So they, they were massively hit by, by COVID because all the tourists left. And there's a restaurant that we go to quite regularly as a Vietnamese restaurant. And we got to know the, the, the owners well, and they looked after us much <laughs> in terms of when we first got there. Like we didn't know what to do in most places and they helped us out because they had good English. And they were saying to us, can we think of any ideas in which they could potentially make some more money because they haven't got any guests at their, their restaurant? And so we're like, well, maybe you can do start doing breakfast, not just lunch and dinner. And they said, and this was really powerful, they said, no, we thought about that, but we don't want to do that because 
there's another family who live on the same road and they just sell breakfast. And they were like, we don't want to start selling breakfast because that would take money away from the other restaurant that's over there that just sells breakfast. And I, I've just thought, wow, that's that's just so cool <laughs> in terms of they're, they're not just thinking about themselves, they're thinking about the impact of what they do could impact and they, they just want to support others. And there's another coffee shop that we went to, which is owned by a Singaporean. And he actually closed his coffee shop during COVID. And so I said to him afterwards, why did you close during COVID? Is it customers? And he said, no, he just wanted his customers to go to the local coffee shops rather than his because he felt he's got money. <laughs> he's got enough money to survive COVID, whereas some of them don't. So he said, I'd rather my customers went and spent their money at their coffee shops than, than spent it at mine. And I was like, wow. So this was a foreigner in Vietnam, but he's kind of just taken on that mindset. And so that had a big impact on me. And I've been sharing that with my daughters as well about you don't have to have the most <laughs> if it impacts on other people. And I think they, they got a good sense of that. And it's great to see those kind of real examples. And I wouldn't, at the time, I probably wouldn't have thought that. So I said, I was recommending them start doing breakfast. <laughs> At no point in my mind did I think about the, the sort of communal sort of impact of that. So it was a, a life lesson for me. Oh, both of those just gave me like a feel good feeling in my stomach. And it made me think that there's hope in this world. <laughs> it's such a powerful story because we live in a different system over here where it's like, how do I make a dollar? Yeah, of course, there's those, there's similar stories. And I can't say there's none of those uh, where I'm from, but two, they're just incredible. Thank you for sharing those. I just, yeah, really, really good lessons there. I just can't stop thinking about it. Now, for the breakfast places, did they have Lipton's tea with a lot of condensed milk in it? Yeah, they definitely That's did. That's what I, I remember to drink in there. Much, yeah, it's definitely. I didn't have much of that. Well, I, was, I was really into the um, iced coconut coffee. It's like, oh, not good for you, but oh man, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> it was so cheap as well. It's like, uh, well, I've got to limit myself. <laughs> oh, there's still, last time I was in uh, Hoi An breakfast, there was a lot of fresh baguettes with that laughing cow cheese on it. Yeah, no bad means. And that was one of the best bits also on this kind of piss. So I've got two daughters and we'd take one morning each uh, week to take, we call it breakfast date. So I would take one of my daughters out. My wife would take another and we'd, we'd slop it around each week. And so one of my daughters really loved pho, which is the, the noodle soup. And so there's a really local place and it's supposed to be one of the best places in the town. So we go there pretty much every Wednesday morning and it'll cost about a dollar for the both of us for this breakfast. But we'd be sitting on these plastic stools, round table, they only served one thing. But the great thing, was, we were talking to someone, they're like, you see that person who's sitting on the table over there? And I was like, yeah, I see him, just a regular guy. He's the richest man in this whole town. And I was like, that is so cool. As in like, he had no potential, there's no gravitas about him, he just looked like wearing a polo t-shirt, some shorts, flip-flops, and he was sitting in this restaurant, which cost no money, just mixing and I love that because again it just shows that he cared about the food and the community and stuff like that rather than oh I'm only going to eat in the five-star hotel so I thought that was a really cool lesson as well again for my daughters to show again just doesn't matter how much weight you got <laughs> just hang, eat the things you like go to the places you like and just do that that's great and talk to people you enjoy talking to I feel like you're going to have to put on your spreadsheet the opportunity cost of not doing what you're doing right now with your family I mean, it, there's no cost up, but geez, this time with your kids at this age are, it's something special. 
okay, I, I feel like I could talk to you about the parent and the father side about the kids in this, but let's get into the book, Grandpa's Fortune Fables. So you have 14 lessons slash stories that have been woven throughout this book. I think that you're, you're a great storyteller. The usage of language is well, your age range, like you said, 7 to 13, give or take a couple of years. But I could see how the 13-year-old still can appeal to it, and my 6-year-old does. So I, I really think there was probably a lot of thought put into that. Why did you pick Grandpa? What significance does Grandpa have on there? It was one of these things I heard, and I've, I've tried to find it since, but as a statistic or someone just said, if you say to someone, I think this, and say whatever you think, people will listen. But if you say, my grandpa told me this, people's ears pick up. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so someone told me that. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go long on that. And so I kind of wanted to, to be this character in the book who's kind of sharing lessons and having this kind of a daughter. So it's got like the, the male, female piece going through. But yeah, so that was one of the reasons for, for grandpa. And I also thought if it was grandpa, people won't, it's, it's not like me. It's not, I haven't been sort of embodied myself in my own book. I've put a different character because I'm not old enough to be a grandpa yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so I wanted to have this character who can pass on wisdom and has kind of gone through a whole life as well. So because a lot of one of the key lessons in the book is about patience. So I kind of did want to have a young character in there because I kind of I wanted to have grandpa who's shown that it takes time. But he's kind of learned lots of lessons and he's passing on those lessons. So, yeah, so that was the main piece. But I'm in the works and probably going to be late next year, another book which will be sort of Grandma's Money Tales. Oh, okay, yeah. So I think the, the the format of having this kind of older character teaching a younger character seems to have gone down really well. So I kind of keep that for the next book as well. Yeah, there's a sense of wisdom as I read the book from Grandpa. You, you mentioned something there about patience. I really get the the sense that patience is something that Grandpa is teaching. Is that from personal experience or where did that patience come from? Is that literature you're reading or because that patience, whether it's grandpa going to get the gold on Pucha Pucha Island or many other examples, I really see that the patients are there with the example, like the seeds and so forth. So I'm curious, where did the origin theme of patience come from? So I think it's been a sort of a combination. So I've been, even before I started writing the book, I've been kind of writing and thinking about kids and money for almost two years. And it just, you're talking about all these different money topics, whether it's debt, tax, investing. And they all had this kind of theme where it's like, why aren't people doing this? Why what's stopping them or why are they going into debt? And loads of it just comes down to the same bit. It's about patience. And so I've always said that patience, well, I now say so, whenever I'm doing podcasts, say patience, I think it's the superpower of the financially healthy and wealthy. And a lot of that is because money is not, about how smart you are or getting the super best idea and someone's told me, oh, you have to do this thing. It's super clever, and but it's not. It's about doing the simple things consistently over a period of time. And that's where people fail because people don't want to, to wait a period of time. They want the really exciting thing and they want to do it here and now rather than doing the simple thing over and over and over again. And so when I was kind of being writing and then thinking about my own upbringing. So as I mentioned at the start, I was lucky enough that my parents would kind of learn a lot from my parents, but I didn't learn through my parents sitting me down and giving me money lessons. Although my dad claims that's what he did do, but I don't remember. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> um, but what they did do is when we were growing up, 
they kind of showed me about patience because we lived in the same house for 25 years as I was growing up. And it was a perfectly fine, free bed detached house. So it's, it's nothing wrong with it. But a lot of my friends and stuff, their parents were moving houses and stuff. And I always wondered why we never moved house. But then as soon as I finished college at 21 years old, my parents just said, all right, see you later. We're, we're moving to Spain. <laughs> we're retiring and we're going to go and live in Spain. And it was just such a, a powerful life lesson for me in sort of retrospect because they decided that instead of buying the bigger house, which meant they would have to work until they're 65, they said, right, we're just going to be patient, 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 patient. As soon as our kids, so I'm the youngest of two, as soon as they've left or we've done our job, <laughs> we're going to go and retire to Spain. And they did that. And I was, and it had a big impact because I phoned them up after my starting my new graduate job, working whatever, 60 hours a week, <laughs> knackered. And then, uh, yeah, we had a nice time. We walked around the little village in the sunshine, had, <laughs> had a nice little meal, painted a chair or something like that. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I can see why you did what you did. And I'm going to try and do some of that as well. And so seeing patients and how it's been rewarded had a big impact on me. And I think that's the hard bit is that when people say, right, I need to be patient, they don't wait long enough for the reward. And then if people miss that, kissing that reward, then people miss out. And I think that's, I, I was lucky because I got to see the benefits of patients from my parents. And I hopefully my kids are going to benefit from my wife and I being patient and having this opportunity for our kids that they'll want to do the same thing when they're growing up. And hence why I wanted to put so much of that in the book and can use grandpa way. There's loads of different examples of, of being patient, being a, a sort of really key mentality for money. Means, I think it's so, so important. It doesn't matter how much you know about money. If, you don't, if you're not patient, you're going to struggle. So true. You're making me think of Morgan Housel's book, The Psychology of Money, where he talks about, I, I don't remember the exact statistics on Warren Buffett's wealth, but like disproportionate amount of wealth was built like after 60 or something like that. And, and to grandpa, <laughs> grandpa's credit, he he planted those seeds and the trees start to get uncontrollably, or they grow uncontrollably when the years go on. It's so interesting. You talk about your parents going to Spain. So we talk about that social learning is such a powerful way of learning, teaching your kids. And there it is. Your parents are doing it. Now you did it. What would grandpa say? Or, or I'm putting you a bit on the spot here. But what would grandpa say? Or what did you observe from your parents on this idea of being patient, but yet deciding to do something like what you did is not be patient and wait till 65. So it's it, it, the two truths here. Do you know what I mean? So as as somebody who could be like, okay, I'm going to be patient. I got to wait. I got to wait. But yet not let life go by too much like you did. What would you say to that? So you want to be able to take the advantages. And it's all about balance. And it's like, so patience is super important, but balance is, is the other thing. And when people talk about money, it's over, are you a spender or you're a saver? I hate it when I, when people talk like that, because it's, it should be both. And in fact, spending should be, is going to be a, a dominant part of that so i'm a spender i still spend we still spend but we still also save and i think that's the piece that is really really important because when even when we're doing what we've done we saved and we were patient but we were still spending we still had cars in the past and nice holidays and all property etc but we were very conscious we're going to save and even when we move to here we're conscious that we're going to keep our savings we're not going to try and deplete them and sort of go crazy and just go right let's go and do a world tour and end up with no money at the end of it because that would have a, an impact on our, our much 
distance future. So we were mindful of what we want to do today, but also get that balance about making sure we're still secure and can have that nest egg that's going to kind of grow for the long term. And I think that's the key bit. It's not about, right, here's an opportunity you've got to take it. You only live once, spend all your money. It's about, yeah, take opportunities, but make sure you have that balance and, and say, well, because we were kind of relatively patient in terms of not spending too much, we'll make sure we gave us that opportunity that when it did come up, we're allowed to take it and still have that balance for the long term. Yeah, thank you. I, I really appreciate that answer. What I hear you saying is it's not one or the other. And as you're responding, I wrote down and it made me think of patience. And then as you mentioned earlier about you can think now, like you're, you're thinking. So it's very, being very intentional. And this idea of balance, I think, is a really important lesson that we can all pull from your story and your parents' stories. This idea of like, yeah, be patient, but have some balance and think. Like you said earlier, it's hard to think when we're so busy being distracted. There's a lot, there's a lot we can learn in that stillness. 100%. Another story that you have in here is when you talk about Richie the Raccoon and Wealth Wallaby. I thought those two names were quite interesting. Can you share the moral of these stories around the idea of rich versus wealthy? And who are these characters and why did you pick them? The background to the names was I, I did a blog called Rich Kids, Wealthy Kids. And I had this mini story in there which had these animals, but... I've kind of leveraged that for the book, even though they're not animals, they've got these names. But Richard Raccoon, I really wanted to have this character who's what everyone kind of sees in the real world a lot of. So this is the people who are on social media, so Instagram, et cetera, who are spending all their money and, and telling everyone about it. And we see that it might be not just on, on social media, but it could be in your friendship groups or something like that. There's always those, those people who seem to be spending and having really nice things. And that, that's what I call rich, have, as in have money, but you spend it. But what we don't see, and our kids won't see, is this concept of wealthy. So this is people who have money, they still spend, but they also look after some of it. They put some away for emergencies or just in case. And But also thinking about their money for the future, so not just the here and now. And so that's what I call wealthy. And because we don't see that in real life, because Wealthy people, not much to show off. <laughs> it's not very exciting what they're doing. They're still spending, but not clearly not spending as much as someone who's earning equivalent, and they're rich. And so I was really keen to have a character in the book. So that's Grandpa, who's got the nickname of Wealthy Wallaby, who is wealthy, so that kids can see these two characters next to each other and then say, which character do I most want to be like? And then, then they can make that decision. And they, most pretty much well, all kids I've spoken to have said they want to be like grandpa and wealthy. But the sad thing is, if people don't see this character or learn about that, they're going to want to be rich raccoon. Because I'd say we're social beings and we'll we'll follow the crowds. And if everyone's doing that or we don't know about something else, we'll just follow, follow that. So I really wanted to sort of start sort of cultivating this new crowd, which is the wealthy ones. And they had this kind of character, grandpa sort of leading the march and teaching his granddaughter, Gail, who's the main character, and she's now leading the march for her and her friendship group to do that. So I think it's, it's really important to shine a light on this, these other characters, and hence why I put it in the book, and I've written many blogs about rich versus wealthy. I really appreciate that focus because, you know, it's also the rich people who are waving their flags, shining their fancy things at us, 
I mean, maybe for an inner, inner desire to get attention and validation, but for, you know, for people who don't really know what's going on, of course, that looks attractive. So I appreciate you highlighting the, the wealthy wallabies or, or maybe in the, the, the grandma's book, the individual sitting on the plastic stools in uh, Hoi An will, will make an appearance because those are the people who have, I would say that wealthiness, but maybe more of a richness. You know, you speak, speak of a soup, how it's a rich tasting soup. There's some depth to it. I'm wondering for you, has there been more depth or richness to life as you've written this book and have you experienced more time with your kids? I've never been happier is the key from where going on this adventure, doing the writing and doing something creative and, and learning a new skill by kind of being repetitive and doing it pretty much every week, writing something new. And so, yeah, I think that's the main bit. I'm just, I say I'm not, I was not earning as much as I was before, but yet I still have money growing and have the security. But yeah, in terms of just overall, it's just profound how happy and what I actually value. And so because we've moved from Vietnam to, to Thailand, so in Vietnam we were going around on scooters because that's what everyone did. And whereas now we're in Thailand, we have to buy a car. And in the past, I had like a BMW and when I was in the UK, so I kind of cared about the car, I just love the car, but also like the image that it came with it. Whereas now I have to buy a car, I'm like, I just need to get from A to B. I don't care. <laughs> and it's not that I can't afford a nicer car. I just have no desire. I'd rather just have my money saved up so I can have more time for that freedom to be able to pursue the things that I'm really passionate about, which is doing the blue tree stuff and exploring different parts of the world, meeting new people. So I think that's the, the main sort of bit that's been really sparked me i just i just don't care about what other people think <laughs> as much and i care about what makes me happy and makes my family happy as well and i mean a friend of mine who's helping we're writing an album of my money journey but he he came up with this line of what is wealth is it is it money or gold or of treasure no vault can hold and you're making me think of that is like this happiness thing is inside and i think this stillness that you're experiencing or this time to think is letting you clarify what is important and to use a word you said earlier we only have one life so i i, I really admire the the journey you were creating now i'm gonna go back because i have a question about parents in the book but you're making me think of this and sometimes when we hear people's stories we hear the highlights and going back to stephen pressfield his whole book is around the resistance, how, like, it's it's difficult. Like, a lot of these things, like, mountains aren't made without an earthquake. So, you know, there's difficulties. How has, if anything at all, maybe there hasn't been, but the resistance shown up in the last three years that you've had to sit with and think about where maybe there's some ruminating on, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing anything wrong? Yeah, so I think it's not so much in terms of doing things wrong, but I suppose it's that the initially a bit about uncertainty about my daughters. Like we are doing something a bit different, as we kind of talked about earlier. Is that the right thing? Is that, are they going to kind of go, why did we do that with kind of everyone else that they might work, because if they go back to work in a city or something like that, and everyone's got their kind of more traditional upbringings, will they feel a little bit isolated or feel different? I hope, I hope not, but that's clearly a fear, something that we've kind of talked to them a lot about making sure that it's no different and the benefits of blah, blah, blah. So I think that's one bit. And I think for us, I think the hard bit is to, it's almost a fear of going back. So the thought of going back to the UK, for example, and 
working in the UK kind of feels like, I don't know if I'd fit in or get my sense of enjoyment. I, so it's almost like once you get to a level of enjoyment, you're like, there's a risk that you have to go somewhere and do something and then you kind of come back down from that. But clearly I'm never going to take that as something. I'm not going to do something because of potential change in that space but it's always it's kind of lingers on in the, in the mind but yeah zero regrets and feel clearly we're doing something different so we, we think a lot about the impacts of that but there's been no regrets no fears that have diluted the happiness that we're, we're kind of experiencing well i can feel that i mean we are far from each other i'm in canada you're in thailand i can feel that you're just leaning into it and enjoying enjoying the ride so i think uh Everybody listening could maybe take some time to sit with themselves to see that, hey, can my story use some, not use, but are there some journeys that I'm not noticing? Yeah, so just on that, it's really, because as I said, when I spoke to my wife about doing this, so 2017, whatever it was, and she said, well, no one else does this. And I think that's the really impact, because most people just go through life and don't think about that as an alternative, because we're not taught about that. When I was growing up, it was go to school, get a good job, work for 40 years and then retire. For me, slightly less because my parents' experience, but still that's the kind of routine. And so something has to spark into our minds to sort of do something. So I was, again, had that conversation, just had a profound, but also at the same time just happened to be reading The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, as I mentioned. And so those two kind of combinations allowed me to see actually there's this different potential and then clearly takes a lot of energy to do that. But I think it's almost that first bit that people just don't even think about doing something a bit different because, hey, they might just not have any savings. So it's not even an opportunity, so they don't think about it at that time. But most of the time, people just go through that the, the sort of mindset because they're never taught or it's never really discussed or shown that there's these alternative lifestyles and it's only for certain kind of people or only people who have loads and loads of money or are inherit or win the lottery or something like that where it really doesn't have to be the case say most people who own a property in the us or canada or, or the uk they rent that property out that will probably cover most of the expenses and if they lived in somewhere like vietnam and so it is potentially an opportunity for more people than you probably think yeah and you know i feel like that's why i've been asking a fair bit of questions on there just because you know, you're you're doing this work, so to speak, that many people I feel like aspire to do it, but their own resistance, which is real, and I have it too, that keep us from stepping out of line. So I appreciate you allowing me to go down that those doors of your journey. Going back to the the doors of Grandpa's Fortune Fables, what has the response been from parents who read this book? Obviously, it's for seven to thirteen year olds. But there's a sneaky way that you're teaching parents in this book. So I'm curious what have parents have been saying to you about this book? Yeah, no, so lots of parents have really enjoyed reading the book themselves. And I, I love hearing it when I get messages saying from parents saying, I read this with my daughter and I learned quite a number of new things because it talks about investing, for example, but using sort of a kid-friendly story. And most adults are scared of investing. And so therefore, this has really taken a lot of fear away about investing and kind of starting from the very basics and then people are like, oh, right. So it's not as scary as it, it should be. Well, it feels like it, it is before reading the book. So that's been really a positive. And when they're reading it, not only learning something, but they're trying to be a bit, they understand the sort of pressure to be a good role model as well. <laughs> so their kids are learning about money, about saving, and therefore the parents are like, oh, right, I better start doing some of this myself to sort of show that it's the right thing to do. 
And so that's been really, really positive. And, and all of my work that I've been doing with Blue Tree about te- so my blogs are here's a lesson for you to teach your kids. But yeah, it's the Trojan horses I want to teach the parents as well. Because most adults are never taught about money and it's just a yeah. catalyst. Most adults today can't think about the future because life consumes you. You think about your car and your holidays and the house that you have and you've got repairs. So your money is very busy. And so it's really hard for for adults, most adults, to, to think about the future. Whereas we can think about the future for our kids. And so actually, if, by reading this book or reading my website, parents are the catalyst for learning about money is for their kids. <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's for them as well. And I think that's that's been some of the best kind of feedback that I've received. And, and the fact that parents say, I'm we've just opened up an investment account for my daughter. But as I was doing it, I also opened up an investment account mm. for myself. Like bingo. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that idea. Um, th- there's a recent book called How to Change by um, Dr. Milkman. And she talks about fresh starts are like the like a good opportunity to change. And this idea of fresh start to learn something, hey, I'm going to teach my kids about money. It- it's like a fresh start for the adults. But to your point is we don't learn about money properly in school, post-secondary. So in an essence, our industry, the financial planning industry, expects them to be at like the CFP, our certified financial planner level. And we just like throw this jargon at them. Whereas they just want to hear about grandpa and Gail and these friendly stories and they can resonate with this this, this language. Language is so important. And I think you nailed it with that the, the parents on this one. So you mentioned about jargon and I think that's really important. Also, it's about stories as well. People just resonate more with stories and want to re- read the whole story and, and learn. And I think that's something that the book uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Richest Man in Babylon, so, so popular. And there's a reason for that because they both do stories. So they're interesting to read and you can remember them. And the characters have an impact. They have an emotional impact rather than you read like a textbook version of this is, I don't know, the basics, ABC of money book. And then you don't, you don't feel any emotion about it. You don't, it's hard to stick in the memory. So I think that again, it's trying to teach both parents and kids these lessons in a kind of fun way, but something that hopefully has a little bit of emotion in there as these characters go through trials and tribulations and success in the end that they can remember and feel they want to be copying or, or, or avoiding depending on the scenario. I really, really have been enjoying going through the book with my son. So let's imagine that you're at the end of life. Don't know how old you'll be. That doesn't matter. But you're somewhere that brings you peace. Maybe maybe it's in Thailand, in Chiang Mai. Maybe not. But you're on a front porch and you feel content. You feel peace. There's a stillness. And you're sitting on this front porch and you decide to write your kids' kids a letter on what you learned about cultivating a happy and healthy relationship with money. What would a theme of that letter be? I'd go for, yeah, think about yourself and your family rather than anything else. Really go, what makes you happy and why are you doing whatever you're going to spend your money on? Just doesn't matter what you do, but just make sure it brings you happiness and you understand why you're spending that money. Is it convenience or is it because someone else bought it? Then don't do that. (laughs) Save that money. And then if you do that, you'll... Just be, yeah, you just have so much more peace <laughs> and you'll see the money grows and you won't spend as much and therefore you have all the opportunities. And I think that's one of the, the big ones is it's not following the Joneses and 
really going rebels. I've got this resource, which is money. How can I use it? And I said, money, think of money like a tool. And it's not how many tools you have. It's what you build with those tools. And that should make you happy. Well, I think I need to just go journal and write after this conversation. <laughs> so where can people find you, your website, the book, let people know? So my website is bluetreesavings.com. So I have a, a weekly blog. I'm very blessed that, that it was um, voted the best UK family finances blog in the UK last year. So that's great. Nice. Uh, so it teaches different kids. So And that's got lots of information about me, my book. You can even download the first two chapters of Grandpa's Fortune Fables for free to see what it's like. And it's got an online course if you prefer video versus reading the, the hundreds of blogs that are now on the website. I've kind of condensed the best ones into short five, 20 minute videos. It's got other resources on that. But I'm also on LinkedIn quite a lot and I try and do a number of posts to sort of help little tips about teaching kids about money. I'm also on other social media. So Twitter and, and Facebook under Blue Tree Savings and Instagram under Grandpa's Fortune Fables. I'm not as visible on those as I probably should be. So LinkedIn's my my main social one. But if people want to share stories about what they're doing with their kids or what they learn about money as they're growing up, or even answer a question, then more than happy for people to reach out on social media or, or email me at uh, will at bootreesavings.com. Well, thank you so much, Will. Thanks for sharing your story, information about the book. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Sorry, I forgot to say the book's on Amazon. <laughs> oh, right. Yes. Grab a copy. It's great. People will enjoy it. Without a top, my wealth is measured and now I spend my time. But now I write freedom story with everybody.